My name is Jared, in case we haven't met before. I'm one of the ministers on staff here. And uh, Doug is down at family camp in Falmouth at Camp Northward. He'll be back later today. So I'm wrapping up the series on David. Doug's done a great job of going through the life of uh, King David and helping us see what we can learn and apply to our lives today. My topic today is David's legacy. And if you're like me, you might have been thinking through this whole series, David really isn't that great of a guy. The Bible says that he's a man after God's own heart, but he just keeps making bad decision after bad decision. He's responsible for writing most of the songs and poetry we find in the book of Psalms. We still sing uh, many of those today, those words in the songs that we sing today, but then he goes and does some really disgusting, almost unspeakable things. In fact, one of the reasons I have so much confidence in the accuracy of the Bible is because of stories like the ones that we've been studying about David. If the Bible was just made up, I imagine the authors would have omitted some of these terrible events about Israel's most famous king. But instead, it's all there for all of history to read. So when I thought about what David's legacy was, what it should be that we take away from the story of David, what is it that God's teaching us through this? I kept coming back mostly to negatives and thinking about his terrible decision making. The story of David teaches us that we need to be better at making decisions than David was, and that's pretty low bar. Back in our kids' area, every week we talk about one of these three things. I can trust God no matter what. I should treat others the way I want to be treated. Or I need to make the wise choice. How much better life would be if we always made the wise choice. But decisions are hard. They come at us fast. I read an article this week that said the average adult makes 35,000 decisions every day. That's one every two seconds of the time you're awake. You've already made thousands of decisions this morning. Should I hit the snooze button? Should I even get out of bed? Am I going to come to church? Am I going to just hang out in the yard? What am I going to wear? Will I eat a donut for breakfast or something more healthy? Am I going to fight with the kids over what they're wearing to church this morning? And I know some people are quicker at making decisions than others. I've heard about people who go to the grocery store and they spend hours there trying to make decisions about what the best thing to purchase is. You have ketchup written on your list. You get to the ketchup section and there are so many choices. What should I get? You get the Heinz. That one's easy. Nobody wants Hunt's ketchup. But that's just me. It's easy for me. Some people struggle with that. And some decisions just really aren't that big of a deal. But others have monumental impact. Now the ladies here may not understand this one, but men face difficult decisions every time we walk into a restroom. When a man goes into a restroom, he has to decide which urinal he's going to use. Now this is especially important if someone else is already there. Now a lot of people think this is the best option. It gives plenty of space. Maybe that was true during the pandemic, but I think the choice here sends a message to the other person. I think you're weird. But this choice sends the message, I'm weird. <laughs> so I believe this is the best option. 
It honors everyone's personal space. It leaves room for someone else to come in and still not be awkward. And if still another person comes in, they would have to make the choice of where uh, they want to go. But this is the worst choice. Never do that one. And I'll probably get some emails this week for choosing to include that in my message. But it illustrates the point that decisions are hard. They can be overwhelming. But making the wise choice is important. This is the first legacy that David left us. We can see from his life that making poor choices has, con- has a consequence. I need to make the wise choice. One of the positive things that David left us with is that he gave God glory. Part of David's legacy is that he left us the book of Psalms. Many of the songs we sing today have their roots in these words of David. He had divine inspiration to understand who God was in a special way. All of history and Scripture are about God receiving glory. That's what everything is about. Why did God create the universe and everything in it? To bring Himself glory. Why did God call a people to Himself? To bring Himself glory. Why did He make a plan to redeem those people? To bring Himself glory. Why did Jesus come and die for our sins? To bring God glory. And all of eternity, long after this world is gone, will be about giving God glory. Somehow, David miraculously understood this. But how do we define glorify God? John Piper says that the glory of God is this, the manifest of His holiness. It's just a declaration that God is holy, or He he has a perfection that can't be improved upon. He can't be imitated. He's incomparable. It signifies His infinite worth and value. David would have no doubt known about Leviticus 10.3, where God says, among those who approach me, or among those who are near to me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the nations or the people, I will be honored. So David got this one right. And God's glory is what everything is about. We exist to give God glory, and we will only find fulfillment when we live to bring Him glory. I love history. I like visiting historical places, I read historical books, I watch documentaries about events that have happened in the past. I like the statement, history doesn't repeat itself, but sometimes it rhymes. And that's true in the comparison of President Abraham Lincoln and President John F. Kennedy. Maybe you've heard about these similarities before. Lincoln was elected to Congress in 1846, Kennedy in 1946. Lincoln was elected president in 1860. Kennedy elected president in 1960. Lincoln had a child die while while he was president. Kennedy also lost a child while he was president. Lincoln's secretary was named Kennedy. Kennedy's secretary was named Lincoln. Lincoln was shot on a Friday. Kennedy was shot on a Friday. Lincoln was succeeded by Vice President Johnson. Kennedy was also succeeded by a Vice President Johnson. Lincoln was shot at Ford Theater. Kennedy was shot in a Ford vehicle. John Wilkes Booth was born in 1839. Lee Harvey Oswald born in 1939. Booth shot from a theater and ran to a warehouse. Oswald shot from a warehouse and ran to a theater. 
Booth was assassinated before his trial, and Oswald was assassinated before his trial. This is a case where history rhymes. All of these similarities are really strange, but I know they're just coincidence. But David and Jesus also had a lot of similarities that I think were more than just coincidence. David was born in Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. David was a shepherd before he was the king. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. David was 30 when he became king. Jesus was 30 when he started his ministry. David was the king of Israel. Jesus is known as the king of kings. David was betrayed by one of his close friends. Jesus was betrayed by one of his close friends. That friend who betrayed David later hanged himself. Judas also later hanged himself. Saul, the leader of of David's time, plotted to kill him. The Pharisees, the leader of Jesus' time, plotted to kill him. David cast out demons with music. Jesus cast out demons by his command. David was announced and anointed by Samuel who was conceived miraculously by a woman who had never had children. Jesus was announced and baptized by John the Baptist, who was conceived miraculously by an elderly woman who had never had children. These things aren't just coincidence, though. God is showing His divine hand in all of history by helping us see that He's been moving all along. Biblical scholars might call David a type of Christ. That is, the story of David foreshadows what's about to come with Jesus a thousand years later. And long after the fact, people like us, 3,000 years later, can look back and marvel at what God has done through history. You may remember from some of the other messages in this series that God's plan was for Him to be the king. A king gives peace and protection to his people. And God had proven that he was a good king over and over throughout history. But Israel insisted on having a man king. They didn't want a God king. Kingship belongs only to God. God wanted his people to rely on him and give only him the glory that only he deserved. But in 1 Samuel 8, God says... They have rejected me from being king over them. They have rejected me from being king over them. Isn't that what we do today? We reject God from being king over us. We want to rely on something, anything, other than God. Many of us put our hope into political figures. We put our energy into political figures. We think if the right candidate gets elected, everything will be okay but no political figure can be our king. We think if we make enough money and store away enough in retirement, we won't have any worries, but wealth will never take the place of God. We get consumed with what other people think about us. We make posts on social media that put out an image that isn't real. Then we try to live up to other people's highlight reels that they put on social media. But if our image is our God, that will crumble. We've tried to make ourselves God. By doing so, we've rejected the true God from being our king. 1 Samuel 12, 13, Samuel says, Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. Then in verse 17, he describes what that means. You shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. 
I don't think it can be overstated how terrible this sin was. After everything God had done, generation after generation, His people reject Him and turn away. So David's legacy begins with one of the greatest sins in all of history. God's people rejecting Him. David becomes king. David proves exactly why God didn't want His people to have a human king. David's called a man after God's own heart, but he proves to be capable of incredible evil. He fails his people, his family, his friends, and his God. Yet, in God's wisdom and grace, God provides, God promises that David's kingdom will endure forever through his offspring. That must have seemed strange. But David's offspring was really no better than he was. In fact, they were even worse until finally the line of David no longer ruled over Israel. Not much of a legacy. The great sin spawns a great sinner who makes terrible decisions and it sits that way for a thousand years until Jesus. Jesus is the key to seeing what David's real legacy is. Paul explains it this way, all the way over in Acts chapter 13. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites, and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, He led them out of that country. For about 40 years, He endured their conduct in the wilderness, and He overthrew seven nations in Canaan giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All of this took 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. Verse 23, Paul tells these people, from this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, David's legacy. Verse 32, we tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors in that promise to David, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. David's most important legacy was that Jesus entered his story. One of the greatest sins produced a king who was a sinner, and one of that king's descendants would be Jesus, the man-God, the king of all kings. His rule will be forever, and he will rule over all nations. Those are promises we can find in Revelation. The reason we know or even care who David is today was because a thousand years after his life, Jesus became part of his story. God fulfilled his grand plan by grace, even through the line of David. God chose David, and he chose you. Jesus became part of David's story, and that made David's legacy. Jesus wants to become part of your story, too. And we, just like David, are capable of all kinds of evil. Scripture says we fall short of God's glory. But when Jesus enters our story, we find purpose. We begin living out what, we're, what we were created for. In spite of all our shortcomings, in spite of our failures, in spite of the times we just screw it up, 
Jesus enters our story and changes everything. That creates our legacy. God's doing something. He's been doing something all along throughout history. He's been bringing all of mankind back to himself. So that leaves us with some questions about David's legacy and how we make it our legacy. How do we make the wise choice? It starts with knowing God's word. The last thing Jesus said on earth is found in Matthew 28. Jesus gives his followers this command. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Knowing God's word is important. I'm rarely on Facebook, but last week I saw a post from an old friend who was asking if something was religiously wrong. That was the term that was used, and it obviously was. The responses, though, blew my mind. Nearly everyone said something like this, God just wants you to be happy. Life is so short, just do whatever makes you feel good. And God will speak to you by making you feel guilty if that is truly wrong. That's not how this works. In order to make the wise choice, we have to know God's Word. And there are lots of opportunities here at Plum Creek to grow in God's Word. We have a growing number of studies on Sunday morning. Life groups will be starting up in September. That's a way to get into the Word. There will be a basic Bible class. I think it will be called Foundations in August on Sunday mornings. And in, and in September, we're starting a class called Plum Creek Academy. You'll be hearing more about those soon. But today, you could commit to making weekly Bible study a habit. One of these things I've mentioned, or something even just on your own. But how do I give God glory? Well, this is about falling in love with who God is. We have this warped idea of who God is. He's just here to make us happy. His job is to serve me. Maybe I can just make a small part of my life about God. I can compartmentalize God into what I do only on Sunday mornings, and the rest of my life I can live how I want. That's not how this works. God has been spending all of history bringing glory to his own name. That might sound a little selfish, but he deserves it. He's far above us. He's the creator of the universe and everything in it. He's the sustainer of life. And our purpose in life is to give him glory. Until we learn to live in that purpose, we'll always be frustrated. David's poor choices were usually a result of selfishness. And our poor choices are usually a result of selfishness. But Galatians 5.24 says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, its passions and desires. Romans 12.1 says, Present your bodies as living sacrifices. John 3.30 says, He must increase, I must decrease. One good practice to get in the mindset of giving God glory would be to have family conversations this week about who God is. Maybe at dinner each night, have everyone say one adjective that describes God or one way that you see God moving in your life. That's something you could do this week. And finally, how can we have Jesus enter our story? A thousand years after David's life, Jesus becomes part of the story. That changed history. David really didn't have a choice in that. In fact, there's no way David would really have understood what was about to happen to his descendants. But we have a choice. 
Jesus wants to enter your story, but you have to invite him in. Chris McCain did our devotion at Sharing Center last Saturday. It was the first time we were able to be back in the building together since the pandemic started. She read from a devotion book that her mother had given her right before COVID started. It was called Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. And I want to share what Chris read from that book. And this is as if Jesus is talking to us. I want you to be all mine, filled with the light of my presence. I gave everything for you by living as a man, then dying for your sins and living again. Hold back nothing from me. Bring your most secret thoughts into the light of my love. Anything you bring me, I transform and cleanse from darkness. I know everything about you far more than you know about yourself. But I restrain my yearning to fix you, waiting instead for you to come to me for help. Imagine the divine restraint that requires, for I have all power in heaven and on earth. Seek my face with a teachable spirit. Come into my presence with thanksgiving. Desire to be transformed. When you invite Jesus in, he transforms you. He changes you. He will bring you into his mission of reaching all people for him. That's the ultimate glory that God's been seeking in all of history. His name will be great because someday every tongue, every tribe, every nation will be brought back to him and we can see that happen in the book of Revelation. So commit to joining him in his mission by serving. Jacob, you can come on up. There are a few ways that we can do that this week, a few ways that we can commit to serve. We have an incredible opportunity to connect with students. This doesn't take a lot of time. Students from all over the world, some of them come from places where we can't go and preach the gospel. We have a ministry called WISH, Welcoming International Students Home. And we need help with that ministry. You'll see info on uh, ways to help with that soon in our newsletter. We'll be collecting some items for new students coming in from places like Nepal, Vietnam, Japan. They'll be coming in and they need some items to get started in their freshman year of college. We're also going to need people in August to help transport students from the airport to NKU. It just costs you an evening. You can commit to that now and watch for more details coming, through, coming soon, or you can visit plumcreek.org wish to get more information. Now I'm going to have Jacob come up and share, you, share with you about some things happening in kids' ministry. Hey, Jared. Morning, everyone. My name is Jacob Lippert. I am one of the teachers in our children's ministry. I love to serve in kids' town. Not only because I believe that spreading the word of Christ is very important, but I also believe that making sure our future generations understand this importance too. As well as knowing God in general, these are only a couple of the major things that are super important to our church's future. Serving can make all the difference, whether it is something small or something little. You may not know it at the time, but by giving your time to somebody else, you are having a major impact on their lives. And that's especially true when it comes to our kids. The impact on kids is incredible, even with the smallest gesture. For example, I remember just last year, before the pandemic, I had a little girl come into my circle. She was very shy, did not talk very much. So I had her sit next to me and pass out papers to the rest of the students. 
I was trying to get her to interact more with our class just to be a little bit more involved. Well, the following week she came in and she had a glowing smile. So excited to be in my class, she sat right next to me, asked to help and talk to all the students much more than the week prior, and in the weeks to come, she was more and more involved. My little gesture to have her help and be in, more interactive with the other students uh, sparked something in her that made her want to be at church and overall took more in about the lesson. I'm working with Stephanie Rager so that we can give our kids the best experience in Kidstown as possible. We are working to go away from the, the COVID way of teaching and move back into a way of what we were doing before the pandemic. This includes attempting to split into small groups. This allows us to cater to the individual grade levels and in turn gives them much more about the lesson and our stories. I want to thank you for listening to me speak today and I hope that if God is calling on you to serve that you are able to find that avenue that best suits you. Have a great rest of your Sunday. So kids ministry is a great way to uh, leave a legacy and I was thinking about Jacob and I'm not sure when you started coming to Plum Creek but you're a, par a product of kids ministry and that legacy now is going on. You were like in third grade two years ago or something I think it seems <laughs> like to me. So, But um, Jacob is a product of that. Kids ministry is a great way to leave a legacy. And if you want to commit to kids' ministry today, you can do that by going to plumcreek.org slash I can help. There's a form there. You fill that up and it'll you fill that out and it will go directly to those folks and they'll get back in touch with you soon. When we invite Jesus in and say, My heart, my time, my energy, and my preference all belong to you, things change. David experienced this when he wrote Psalm 8612 that says, I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. Let's stand together and sing those words in this song. <laughs>